Welcome back to Strike First. I'm your host, Berserk. Uh, second episode where we talk about uh, various different issues that are happening to the American workforce, uh, union efforts, and just generally this is kind of a work podcast. And I wanted to kind of start off with Starbucks this week. Uh, I don't know how you guys feel about Starbucks. I personally don't drink Starbucks uh, for various different reasons. I don't really like their coffee. I think there's better coffee out there personally. But I know that Starbucks has spent years cultivating this image uh, to market itself specifically towards suburban, upper middle class, uh, liberals, different people like that with stuff like sustainability, uh, inclusiveness, which is all good things that I support. I think they should do more on sustainability personally, but that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about what's going on with their work, or specifically what's going on in Buffalo, New York. And one of the things that always stuck out in my mind with Starbucks is how they refer to their employees as not employees, not associates, but as partners. And I don't know why that's always kind of rubbed me the wrong way, uh, because a partner to me is somebody that has a stake in the business, somebody that has equity in the business. That if the business does well, they get compensated for it, of course. But Starbucks calls their baristas, their cashiers, they call them partners, uh, even the person that's probably washing the dishes in the back. They call them partners, and they're not partners. The only stake they have in the business is that the store stays open and they keep their jobs and they keep their benefits. They don't really get much outside of that. I'm sure that they get tuition reimbursement and different stuff like that. But that's pretty normal in a lot of jobs these days. Even Amazon is giving tuition assistance these days. But I kind of want to dispel this uh, thing that people see of Starbucks of them being such a good employer. Because in Buffalo, New York, they've been doing their damnedest to stop workers from unionizing. And I'm just kind of going to give a timetable of what's happening. And this is when I first noticed this. And this is from the Buffalo News. Starbucks closes two locations that support unionizing. Starbucks representatives said it's common practice to close for remodeling and training. And that has been done in other regions, including Indianapolis and California. When the union campaign started, high-ranking Starbucks executives, such as its executive vice president of U.S. retail and Canada, Roseanne Williams, flew to Buffalo to spend significant time in stores and continue to maintain a presence. They held what they called listening sessions with workers that the company and workers said focused on union issues. Five days after Starbucks United went to the company with organizing efforts, Starbucks closed the Walden store to address a long-standing problem with a bee infestation. Bee infestation, that's the reason why they closed down the store. You couldn't call an exterminator to take care of it. You had to close down the entire store. I, that smelled, That just already sounds fishy to me. After the store filed for a union vote, Starbucks announced it would convert the location into a training store. It has not set a reopening date and said it, it is addressing other facility issues during the closure, such as plumbing. 
Starbucks, Workers United said it believed the company's actions are meant to disrupt union organizing and scatter pro-union workers and dilute their efforts. A common union-busting tactic. That's what it sounds like to me, personally. And then, a couple weeks later, they released a newsletter, one of their stories. Starbucks has on their website stories where you hear from company executives to launch their new initiatives, uh, maintain that facade of being a good company. And this is an excerpt from that. We're hosting partner meetings so we can share information and partners can ask us questions like what the vote actually decides, what collective bargaining entails, and how a union works, and how to make the most of the benefits we already offer. They're not trying to bust a union at all. And we want partners to know how unionizing would fundamentally change the direct relationship with Starbucks. We care deeply about our partners here in Buffalo, as we do in every other market across the country. And we want to preserve our partner-to-partner relationship. And while it's certainly our partner's right to make their own decisions, and one we fully respect, I do hope our partners will give us a chance as they make the best decisions for themselves, their families, and their fellow partners. Notice how it talks about the change of the direct relationship with Starbucks. That's called Starbucks doesn't want anything challenging their power. They want to maintain the status quo. They want to pay their partners the same, you know, unsustainable wages. And I'm going to get into that in a second. And they don't want a union. They don't. They don't want any collective bargaining. And this came out yesterday, and this is from Vice News. And this is the most blatant, blatant proof that they definitely do not want a union. Starbucks tells unionizing workers, we want you to vote no. On Monday evening, Starbucks sent a blatantly anti-union email to workers eligible to vote in union elections at three stores that begins November 10th. We want you to vote no, the email addressed to the workers at three unionizing stores in Buffalo, New York reads. Unless you are positive you want to pay a union to represent you to us, you must vote no. There's no opt-out if the majority of voters vote yes, regardless of how you voted. Very strong uh, response there, considering how fluffy they tried to do their newsletter about the dynamics changing. How they don't, uh, how it's up to the partner if they want to vote no or not. This is, no, you need to vote no. And I don't know how their response will be if the union vote is successful. So how much does a Starbucks barista make in Buffalo, New York? Uh, Glassdoor said anywhere from 12 to 13. Indeed said 1482 hourly was the average. Uh, the average rent in Buffalo is $1,243 
according to Zillow. I've seen different things anywhere from 15 to 16. And this is depending on how many bedrooms you have. Uh, $14.82 an hour, say we go by that with Indeed. That is, uh, that's poverty. That's poverty wages. At the end of the day, it's poverty wages. Let's call it what it is. Uh, a majority of your check is going to go to your rent. That's not utilities. That's not food. That's not, if you have a family, that's poverty. And Starbucks wants to maintain poverty. They don't want you unionizing. They don't want collective bargaining. They want you to stay making $14.82 an hour. Even though I've seen stuff about them raising their wages, I'm still trying to see if that is universal across America, but even then I saw $17 and that's still poverty in most major cities. And they want to maintain that they're doing what Amazon did. In my opinion, when Amazon felt the heat from the Alabama union vote, they raised wages, not by a lot. You still don't have any equity in the company. Uh, you're probably overpaying for health insurance. But they want to maintain that. So Starbucks is anti-union, and I don't think they deserve the goodwill that they get from so many people thinking that they are a great place to work because clearly they're anti-union and they're anti-worker. Another thing I wanted to talk about, and no, I don't really want to talk too much about electoral politics, but I want to talk about the Biden's Build Back Better plan. I've had issues with that. I won't hide that. But this has to do with work. And it's uh, about paid time off. And we all know America has one of the lowest amounts of paid leave in the world, if not the lowest at this point. And one of the very few crumbs that was left in the Biden Build Back Better plan was to help workers was a 12 weeks of paid family leave. And that got negotiated down to four weeks of paid family leave. Before finally being just completely eradicated, just nuked out of the plan last week by West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin. And this is just laughable to me. Ah, uh, because paid family leave is not, whoa, we're getting vacation time. No, it is, we're taking care of our family. You have a new child that's born. You get to spend time with it and bond with it. Oh, a close family member, an immediate family member is sick. Well, you get to take paid time off to take care of them. Or you get sick, especially in a world where COVID, where there's long-haul COVID, and all sorts of things, you get to take the time off to get better. But we can't even get that. We can't even get that because our politicians are bought and paid for by corporations. And this is from the Washington Post. Even when they are not eligible, and once again, the welfare queen myth is back. It, it never left, by the way. And in some conversations with lawmakers and advocates, he asked about work requirements, even though employment is conditioned for one to take leave in the first place. 
Jesus, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. So Joe Manchin doesn't even know what paid family leave is, if I'm to understand what this Washington Post article says. He thinks there should be a work requirement. Well, no shit. There is a work requirement. It's called paid family leave. You have to work to get paid leave. All people want is what every other country has. They honestly, Americans would probably settle for eight weeks. They shouldn't, in my opinion. We should aim higher than 12 weeks. We should go for 20 weeks, in my view. But we can't even get 12 weeks. We can't even get four weeks. We're getting nothing, nothing for paid family leave. Zero. And Joe Manchin thinks there should be work requirements for it. Yeah, that's what it is, man. That's what it always was. I, I, I don't even know. But yeah, it's... It's already been whittled down. This is one of the few things that were left in the Build Back Better plan after it was negotiated down from the four to six trillion dollars that was originally suggested to the three point seven trillion that was negotiated down to less than two trillion dollars where it stands now. And I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. The only good thing I see in there, in my opinion, is universal pre-K. And even then, that's not to benefit you or your child. That's just so you go back to work, in my opinion. It's ridiculous. (sighs) I wish I had better news to give on this, but I don't. And we talked about uh, child labor on the very first episode, and this kind of ties in with it. And this, this just came out today as I'm recording this. Subway franchisee pulls teen son out of school to work in store amid labor shortage. And this is from the New York Post. A Subway franchise owner in Utah says she yanked her 16-year-old son out of school to work in the store amid a paralyzing labor shortage. Sharon Cochran, I hope I pronounced that right, I really don't care, because she's disgusting in my book, told Fox 13 that this has been the biggest challenge she has faced in her two decades running a Subway restaurant near the Salt Lake City International Airport. I've brought my 16-year-old son in after pulling him out of school. My boyfriend has to come in to help me. It's gotten to that point. So, not only did she basically just disregard labor laws that are used to protect our children so they get a quality education, she did it to her own child. Oh, my God. No, limit your hours like so many other people are doing. Don't call your own son in. Take him out of school. Take him away from getting his education. I don't know how the kid feels about it, but me personally, I wouldn't take my uh, 
my children out of school. I wouldn't take anybody else's children out of school to plug a hole in for my Subway restaurant. Uh, in other news this week, Zillow has quit buying houses. And this is from Gizmodo. Zillow quits home flipping business, laying off 25% of its staff in the process. That's a lot. Zillow is getting out of the house flipping business and will fire a large percentage of its staff after admitting it had grossly overestimated its ability to wrangle the unpredictability in forecasting home prices. Zillow has been one of the droves of companies attempting to cash in on the new iBuying trend, the fad that sees banks, real estate companies, and other firms buying up houses en masse to capitalize on America's white-hot housing market. The trend, which involves giant companies using algorithms and other high-tech tools to competitively bid for properties they don't need, has helped fuel skyrocketing house prices, uh, yeah, no kidding, and in many cases made it exceedingly hard for normal people to buy homes. Often, companies try to procure houses and then resell them at higher rates to home buyers or convert the houses into rental properties. Zillow began iBuying in 2018 and launched Zillow offers in December of 2019. The company once projected that it could make as much as $20 billion a year off the venture, and for the past year or so, it's been on a housing buying spree to attain its goal. So if I'm to understand this, the algorithm told these people to buy these houses, because Zillow collects data from all of us. If you look up a house on Zillow, which I'm sure lots of people have, whether it's just window shopping or actually sincerely trying to buy a house, it collects that data and looks at houses all around the area. And it starts buying them up, taking them off the market, making it harder for normal people like you and me to buy houses. And now they have a surplus of houses because of the algorithm. And they're firing their staff because of it. They're pulling the plug on the algorithm, but they're still laying off staff. I don't know how much these Zillow employees make. They probably make better than, say, the clerk at the grocery store or the server giving you your appetizer, but still they're laying off workers for their own gamble. And I, I think that's wrong. And I think the entire commodification of houses, turning them into big capitalist ventures has been very much to the detriment of society, making it nearly impossible for anybody to have economic mobility to enter the middle class, because that's the way people enter the middle class for generations, was they bought a home, they paid off their loan, and they started building equity in their house. And that's been taken away from us the past 20 years. And Zillow's only made it worse because they've jacked up prices of rent, because the lack of being able to buy a house means you have to rent. And if you have to rent, well... Of course, landlords are going to jack up the price because they're in this for money. So this week's topic, I wanted to talk about something that I've been seeing a lot in different groups on Reddit, on Facebook, even on Twitter. And that's people, you know, applying for jobs. Lots of people are out there looking for jobs because unemployment's gone. Uh, eviction moratorium is... Uh, gone federally and it's slowly starting to creep up so people are having to go back to work of course and one of the things i have noticed is that job postings are advertising 
senior level positions, management positions, even general manager, store manager, just upper level positions. And when people apply for these jobs, they do their, whether it's phone interview or in-person interview, and they quickly find out that that job posting was not what it seems. And when I first started seeing this, I was just like, there's no way. So I I did an experiment. I applied for a few jobs myself. Once again, this is completely anecdotal because it's on my part is that that's basically what happened to me. And I'm sure that that's happening to thousands of people. And basically I submitted my resume to two different restaurants for one as an assistant general manager and one is just typical assistant manager, no added title, just assistant manager. In both these interviews, I did one in person and I did one over the phone. And during this, they, you know, they asked me my experience and I gave it to them, of course. I'm just like, I've done this job before and this is how I would operate things. This is how I would do things. And they were, you know, seemed receptive. And then when it came time for them to talk, they would just be like, well, this is for a floor supervisor. This is what one of them was, was for a floor supervisor. And I was just like, what do you mean a floor supervisor? I've been in management for 10 years before leaving the industry. And they were just like, well, we normally promote from within. I was like, then why did you put up the job offer, a job posting saying this? And they were just like, oh, well, that was a third party. That's, that's the big excuse that I'm saying is a third party. And what they're doing is they're trying to plug holes. They're dangling that carrot in front of you saying, Hey, if you come work for us, we know we offered you a management position, but because we promote from within, we're going to hire you as a lesser position than we advertised. And what usually that position entails is that you would be on the floor doing work. Like as a floor supervisor in a restaurant, I would still be doing stuff like waiting tables or bartending, stuff like that. With just a little more responsibility, apparently. And that's just misleading. And I'm sure thousands of people are going through the same thing of being lied to by these companies. They're desperate for whether it is retail clerks, bartenders, servers, cooks, just your entry level positions. Cause they can't fill those right now because people are sick of their shit. So they're putting the carrot out there and saying, Hey, come work for us. And we promise we'll promote you. Now I dealt with that before the labor shortage years, years ago of just being like, Hey, next time we have a position open, you're the first one in line to get it. And then that position would come open and then they would give it to somebody else. And they'd be like, well, they have more experience than you. Okay, cool. That's fair. Then don't tell me that I'm next in line. Both these interviews use different methods to just say, Hey, like one of them asked me, uh, what were the total gross sales of the restaurants I had managed? I told them, and then they would raise that number up by a little bit and just be like, well, this business did millions 
five million. For example, if I said, "Hey, the restaurant I did before did two point five million, they'd be like, "Well, our restaurant did five million, so we're not sure you would be ready to handle that. Why wouldn't I be ready to handle that? Because I've done the job before. I've done the job at multiple places before that, and they're just like, "We're just trying to stop you from being overwhelmed. No, you're trying to plug holes because nobody wants to work for poverty wages. You are trying to extract labor from me with just a vague reward that I might get promoted. I know how this works. I mean, I was a manager for years. I told people numerous times myself, unfortunately, that they would always be up for a promotion. And most of the time, you know, especially when I was first starting out, that was just to get them motivated to work. That was get them to be the best performer that I thought they could be, or the company, better yet, thought they could be by dangling that carrot in front of them and telling them, oh, if you do this for me, you'll get into this position someday, when most likely they're not going to wait around for it or they're never going to get it, period. But both these interviews, one was on a phone, was, you know, just telling me, how I wasn't ready to do their job, despite the fact that I had done their job in the past. Maybe not for their company, but for other companies, and telling me that their system was different, that they had different policies that I would have to learn to become a manager. I, and then the other interview was three people interviewing me at once for an assistant general manager job. To where they told me that I wasn't ready because their format was different because I had worked in fine dining or just, you know, mid-tier dining. That because their system was more casual dining, it would be an adjustment for me. And they tried really hard to sell me on this job. They were just like, yeah, you'll just be a regular floor manager. But... This is how much we can pay you. You'll be paid hourly, by the way. And then they were like, we'll pay you this amount, plus we'll give you this amount of overtime. And the overtime was about 15 hours a week. But they were trying really hard to sell me on taking a less than position than I had applied for. And I'll be honest, I was just like, this isn't what you advertise. And they were like, well, we know but this is what another, once again, a third-party recruiter posted for us. But what do you think about it? And I was just like, no, (laughs) no, I'm not doing that because I have the experience. I probably have more experience than at least one of you sitting in front of me, and you're trying really hard to sell me a plate of shit and expect me to smile and sign up for your job. I want to just tell people some ideas I have in case you encounter this. And this is what I do anyways, and I've done for the last five years before when I was still in the industry interviewing for new jobs. I always take notes. I always bring like a yellow legal pad, or you could just bring any just loose leaf piece of paper and a pen, of course, and write notes of what they are telling you. Make sure it matches up with the job posting that you applied for, that you sent your resume to. 
Because if it doesn't, they are going to try to hook you in. They're going to try to sell you their job. Whether it is with the vague promise of promotion or promising you you're going to work this amount of hours if you're paid hourly instead of salary, which usually with assistant manager jobs and management jobs are usually salary. And you're probably not going to get any vacation time if you're taking the hourly too. That's another thing that they won't tell you. But make sure to take notes, make sure it matches what the job posting says. Next, secure the title and the salary in the interview. Confirm it multiple times. Just be like, this is my title and this is my salary. Correct. And if they go, oh, no, no, no. Start thinking about an exit strategy. Next is usually with jobs like this, they will send you a formal job offer via letter. Most of the time, email these days. Make sure it matches what you were told and the job description. It makes sure it matches with your notes. And if it doesn't, just ignore it. You don't owe them the phone call or the email saying no, in my opinion. If they misled you in the first place, you don't owe them anything. You don't owe them a polite decline. You don't owe them a phone call justifying why you are not taking this position. Because they lied to you in the first place. They lied. So, no. I would just cut off contact and ghost them. I've seen all sorts of people saying recruiters are getting ghosted. Well, there's a reason why recruiters are getting ghosted. It's because recruiters are lying to you. They're lying to all of us, giving vague promises and not following through with them. So, this is completely self-inflicted on their part. And the final one I want to say is if during the interview they start selling you that line of we're going to promote you from within and it's not exactly as advertised just get up and walk away just be like this isn't what you advertised no thanks i wouldn't even say no thanks i would just say this isn't what you advertised i'm gone Because if we keep on being polite to them, if we keep on sitting there and listening to them, try to sell us on false promises, how their corporate infrastructure works, promoting within, or they try to degrade your experience to pay you less, you don't owe them anything. Walk away. Because if you don't, you're rewarding this bad behavior. You're rewarding their lies. You're rewarding them using the carrot method to get you to sign up for a job that's less than you were expecting. That's my takeaway from that is quit rewarding this bad behavior that we're seeing from employers using dirty tricks on job postings like ZipRecruiter, Glassdoor, Indeed, wherever you're going to look for your job, don't reward them. Because if you reward them, somebody down the road is going to be desperate enough to take this and they're going to get screwed over by these people. So it's time that we stop eating their bullshit. All right, let's do a couple 
of emails, horror stories from people that I've gotten via DM or at our email at strikefirstpod at protonmail.com. If you have a horror story of your job, something terrible or even good, I don't want terrible things all the time. If you have a boss that's fantastic to you and treats you well, please share it because I would love to have some good news on this show. (laughs) But most of the time it's uh, disgusting things that employers do or Workers have to encounter horrible conditions, and this one was an assistant manager at a very popular fast food chain. I used to be an assistant manager at a popular fast food chain. One of the crew was buddy-buddy with the site manager, and they both decided they didn't like me. So one day I got into the walk-in freezer to get something, maybe pancakes or whatever, and there's a giant piece of ice shaped like a dick sitting in plain sight as I walk through the door, a piece of paper taped saying, for my name. I was in complete shock and not sure how I even got through the day, but the lackey was snickering the whole time and I no-showed for the rest of the weekend and quit. Here comes the relevant part. In between quitting, I called upon the guy who hired me. He ran all sorts of locations for this particular franchise. I couldn't go to the site manager since she would obviously be biased towards her crony. I get a call back the next day from the site manager and not the franchise manager. And she says, I have to respect the chain of command with my report about being sexually harassed in her store. What could I do? They all obviously needed to be sued, but I was working at freaking fast food chain. I didn't have the resources for something like that, and I didn't keep the ice or take a picture. This was before smartphones, so they got away with it, and it's bugged me for nearly 20 years. That's the hard part of being just an average worker in this country, is that the systems in place are meant to wear you down, are meant to make you spend your own resources, your own time to stand up for yourself, whether it's sexual harassment, bullying, toxic work environments, being screwed out of your pay, uh, being fired for no reason. They make it near impossible for you to take a stand because of all the bureaucracy chain of command like if they went to that site manager and just like hey what you did and what your friends did was inappropriate the site manager's just going to bury it they're never going to bring it to the franchisee manager and obviously the franchisee manager didn't care either because they just kicked it back down to the site manager that's the system that we have to deal with here and i know people will say well you can go to a lawyer, you can go to labor board, you can go to the company. Well, the chances are, once again, you don't have time for that because you're working a job that doesn't pay you that well. You can't afford a lawyer to fight for you, somebody sexually harassing you or bullying you at your workplace. You have, uh, you have to feed yourself. You have to make sure that you have a house over your head. You don't have time to speak up. And that's by design. That is absolutely by design. Because they want to maintain the status quo. They want you 
to do their work for them. And they don't care about what's happening to you personally. There's so many jobs that they tell you, leave your problems at the door. Well, if your problems are at your work, well, that's just personal problem. If somebody's bullying you, sexually harassing you, or making your life miserable, making you depressed, they don't care about that. They just want you to do the tasks that they assign to you, and they don't want you rattling any cages. Let's do one more for the road. I worked for an award-winning producer. Any stories from the many, many articles about him, I didn't see. Personally, examples were were in exact, exact perfect alignment with his character. He was an evil, psychopathic monster. One time I was taking his emails down. He dictated them because he was literally that lazy. And there was a loud noise on his end. This was during the pandemic. So the call was over Zoom. He asked me if I got what he just said. I asked if he could repeat it because of the loud noise. And then he screamed at me for being unprepared. He repeatedly threatened to fire me whenever I was taking down emails. And he had issue with something he made up in his own head. He also got me in another round-haired girl confused. It was an open secret that when people came to work for him, he only treated white men, usually gay and Jewish, although not always, with the most basic of respect. And as though the abuse wasn't bad enough, we were supposed to be perpetually on call and work a minimum of 14 hours a day when he did his near constant firings, he would force us to pick up the slack of the people he had fired because of his own deranged standards. My view of that is there's been studies and there's been all sorts of articles about it, that when people are filthy rich or famous people, have people fawn over them and their talents. They lose, they lose to just the most basics of humanity because they can't relate to the average worker anymore. They are so head in the clouds that they don't know the constant struggles of somebody that's just trying to type out emails as they're yelling at them or have loud noises around them. They don't know the circumstances of that people and they don't care. Simple as that. They do not care. They still think milk costs 75 cents and that rent is a hundred bucks. They're so out of touch that they've lost their humanity. And unfortunately for all of us, they make it our problem to deal with. Whether it's them threatening to fire you all the time, whether it's putting up with their horrible behavior because you have the privilege to work for this person. You have the privilege to type out an email that they are saying. And that's just, that's just wrong on so many levels. Hopefully this person has found a better job that treats them better and they don't have to put up with that abusive behavior anymore. 
All right, everybody. That's our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it helped you in some way, gave you awareness, gave you the strength to stand up for yourself in your workplace. But if you really enjoyed it, subscribe to us on your favorite platform of choice. And give us some good reviews. It helps people find the show and helps raise awareness. And just remember, don't let the bastards keep you down.